Our Bible reading this morning is Psalm 96, which you can find in your bulletins, or you can find it in your Bible. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. So, after what happened, this was this was two weekends ago. Um, the world will never be the same. LeBron James announced that he's leaving the Cleveland Cavaliers and he's going to join the Los Angeles Lakers. And if you don't know who this is or what I'm talking about, this is a basketball player. Um, he's really good at playing basketball. Um, and I realize a lot of a lot of people don't really care much, um, which is fine. It, you don't need to care. Um, so, but if you do know, and you probably do know something about LeBron James, and you know that his nickname is King James or the King, um, and he's the best player in the NBA right now. And and it's a big deal that he's joining the Lakers. He's going to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles, the people there are going crazy. And the sports media stations are going crazy because King James is in the midst of his triumphal entry into the city of L.A. And this, there's a lot of rejoicing going on in L.A. This is a major feat for the city um, and for the team. And, and similarly, sort of, the Israelites would have had times like this in their history. Psalm 96 is a song that would have been sung for such occasions. It's a victory song. It's a, it's a song that reminded them of who their real king was. And they would have sung this song when they came back from exile, or maybe when they were celebrating a recent victory over their enemies. 
And we actually have, um, in the Old Testament, one time this song, psalm is being sung. In 1 Chronicles 16, most of this psalm is written down word for word as part of David's, who, who was the king at the time, his song of thanks. And so Israel was in a time of rejoicing because the Ark of the Covenant is this, this golden throne slash chest um, that rep- symbolized God's presence among his people. It was brought back into Jerusalem, brought back into the city of the king. And this was a great time for celebration. And so Psalm 96 is a worship song, and it's written for God's people to worship and announce to the surrounding nations that their God is God and that their God is the rightful king and he is the judge. And we'll see today that this worship song for the Israelites also applies to us. It's written for us to worship and to announce to those surrounding us that our God is God, our God is king, and our God is the judge of all the earth. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is our righteous and just king. And so we must worship him and declare his reign. And so we're going to see three things in this psalm. We're going to see the call to worship the Lord, the call to worship the king, and the call to worship the judge. So worship the Lord, worship the king, and worship the judge. So look at verses 1 and 2. The psalm starts kind of with this repetition of the word sing. The psalmist says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Also, I have like a little bit of a different translation, so if it's not quite the same, that's all it is. So, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Sing three times. So the author of the psalm, and most people think it is David, is calling others to join him. He's he's declaring that all Israel come join him and sing this new song to the Lord. And as I mentioned before, we find this psalm in 1 Chronicles 16. And here David, he's just overjoyed that the Ark of the Covenant, this this throne of God, is being brought back into the city of the king, which is Jerusalem. And right before this psalm is written down, we have um, kind of this narrative where where David is, is coming before the Ark as it's being brought into the city, and he's dancing, and he's celebrating, um, and he's just worshiping God. And so even the king of Israel is pointing out that the Lord is to be praised for this feat. And this is a, this is a different response than a lot of the rulers that we have in our world. Uh, a lot of the rulers in, in our world with, if there is ever something great like this happening, they would kind of set up a press conference and, and try to bend the media narrative to, to show how great they are, right? That they got the ark to come back into the city. And so even if David did not write this psalm, he's using it to ascribe glory to God and call God's people to do the same. But this psalm is not just calling God's people to worship the Lord. It's also a call to the whole world. Verse 3 calls those who are to sing this psalm to declare God's glory among the nations his marvelous works among all peoples. And we'll see this this theme of proclamation throughout this psalm. The psalmist is saying that the good news 
This salvation that we are praising God for is to be proclaimed. It is to be told to the nations. Proclamation goes together with praise. A hero is going to be known. Think of any superhero story ever. Those who are saved or affected by this superhero, they can't keep quiet. The news spreads, right? Because it's worthy news. Proclamation, announcing the greatness of our salvation always goes hand in hand with praising God. And this is a call to Christians today to declare God's glory among the nations. We're called into the nations to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. The call to Israel is the same call that we have today. And so if the Lord is just another God to add to the many in the pantheon of gods, then why would it be so important to speak of his glory among all the nations? Christianity doesn't affirm the idea that all religions lead to the same God. No, we know that we worship the only God who created the heavens and the earth. And the psalmist makes this point as well. He says in verse 5, For the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And, and this line is a really big deal. It's kind of a shot at all the other nations and religions of the world. The Hebrew word, word that's translated as idols or, um, or worthless idols in some translations, it's stronger than it may seem. It r- literally means nothing. The word means nothing. So the author is saying that the gods of the nations are nothing. They're nothings. They're a non-entity. They're truly worthless. Because they're not. They're, they don't exist. And so this is kind of like a, like a mic drop moment. Um, look at the... <laughs> he says that the gods of the nations, the gods of the nations are nothings. But the Lord made the heavens. Look at the comparison. Their gods are nothing. Our God made everything. Mic drop. Of course he is worthy of praise. The author of this psalm, while worshiping God himself, he's calling Israel to worship as well. And he's calling Israel to announce that the Lord is the only true God. And so we see that in the first six verses, the case is being made that the Lord, the God of Israel, is God. And he's given praise and he's in worship. And compared to all the other gods, he is to be shown to be far, far greater. And so from verses 7 to 10, the author continues to praise God, but now he kind of turns his language from God as God to God as king, worship the king. And it starts similar to verse 1. So in verses 1 and 2, we had the word sing repeated three times. And so now in verses 7 and 8, we see the word ascribe. It's repeated three times as well. And so here the author of the psalm 
continues to call all the nations. He says in verse 7, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. He's calling all the nations. In other words, give God all of your praise and worship because he is the only one worthy of our hearts. He deserves it. He is like a king or ruler who actually deserves all the pomp and ceremony that they get. So the idea, I realize that the idea of a worthy king is hard for us to swallow. Let's be honest, we don't particularly like authority, especially the idea of ultimate authority. When we go to the voters' table to vote in an election, we're not enamored by the choices on the card. The names on the card, they don't blow us away. There's not one name on that card that we can say is worthy of all our praise and admiration. We might like some of the things that they are about, and possibly we know them personally, and so we do like them, but we know they're not perfect. We don't like all their policies. But maybe for some of us, when we look at the card, it's like choosing the, the, the better option of all the not-so-great options. And yet, the interesting thing is that we all have a longing for this type of ruler. There's something deep inside of us that wants to look at that voting card and be enamored with one of the choices. And that's part of the reason why voting matters to a lot of us. Because we want and we need and we desire to have a good and rightful ruler. History tells us the same thing. It's always been the desire for people to get behind one person. To get behind the right person. To put their hope in that person. To take them where they need to go. Plato, who is a great philosopher... He even had this idea of the ideal ruler. And he, since he was a philosopher, he called it the philosopher king. This philosopher king was loving, and he was intelligent, and yet he lived simply, and he was reliable. And even today, we see this. It's not just in, dis, in past history. We don't, not just in politics. We're quick to get behind great leaders because we have a longing for a leader who will do right. Let's think of uh, Elon Musk. He's a CEO of Tesla and SpaceX and a host of different companies. This man has a great following because he has a vision for a greater and better world. And that's a vision that we can get behind because we have a desire to be led by a great visionary leader. But there's a problem. History tells us another thing. It tells us another thing about these great leaders. It tells us that they don't stick around. And they often don't bring us to the place that they promised. Right? We're so skeptical of politicians for this very reason. Because they make empty promises. 
And so we turn to other leaders. We turn to business people and celebrity figures like it's going to be different. Verse 10 of this psalm says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. In God, we have a king, and he has established the world, and he's not going anywhere. He made the heavens. The call to us is to put our hope and trust in this God, who, unlike the rulers and leaders that we follow, he is worthy of our admiration. He is the rightful philosopher king. He has the greatest vision for our world and what our world can be, and he does deliver on his promises. The Lord is king. And now notice at the end of verse 10, it says, he will judge the peoples with equity. And then later in verse 13, it says that the Lord is coming to judge the earth. He's going to judge the world in righteousness. So we see here that the, the psalm turns once more from praising God as king to praising God as judge. And once again, I realize that the word judge, it kind of makes us cringe. When we think of God's judgment, I don't know about you, but my mind kind of automatically goes to the guys on the street corner, right, holding the sign, the end is near. We don't like the idea of being judged. But notice two things about this judge. The first thing is that he will judge with equity. Later it says, he will judge the world in righteousness and the people's in his faithfulness. This is once again a ruler that we can get behind. We recognize that equity and justice are good things. People who are wronged deserve things to be made right. And we recognize this. The reason that we need a judge is because there needs to be justice. And the second thing about this judge that we notice is that the earth itself is crying out in praise because this judge is coming. Look at verses 11 and 12. The author is showing that the earth, the heavens, the seas, the fields, and the trees are crying out praise to God in their respective ways because he is a just God who restores. It's not just people who need justice. All of natural creation is longing for the day when it will be restored. We can see this natural brokenness all over. There's a cry from environmentalists to take better care of the earth. We have initiatives in our cities and in our towns that help us be mindful of the earth because it needs restoration. It needs justice. Even artists and photographers, they make this point with their art. There's a famous Canadian photographer, Edward Bertinsky. Uh, he takes photos to kind of show the interaction between modern industry and nature. And he's making a similar point. He's, his point is that creation, or the natural world, is broken. Creation is longing 
for restoration. And so looking at kind of the totality of this psalm, one question still remains. Why is this psalm still relevant for me? Where is this king and judge? If, if I long for this king so badly like, like you say I do, then where is he? How should we make this psalm personal to us? In the Old Testament, the Israelites had a recognition that their God was also their king. This is the reason why it took so long for God to give the Israelites a king because they recognized that God was their king and that God was also the rightful judge who will restore the earth. But they also realized that his presence among them wasn't fully realized. They awaited a day when their God king would dwell among them and bring restoration to all things. And in Jesus Christ, we have this king. Jesus Christ, the very son of God, God himself became man in order to take his place as our king. But his rule looks a lot different than the rulers and the kings of our world. He was not after fame, and yet he deserves all fame. He was not after money, and yet all money is his. Christ came to serve. He came to heal, and he came to restore justice. And he did this by laying down his own life. He died a bitter death on the cross, and by doing that, he defeated sin. He took our sin and our brokenness upon himself, and he paid for it. And then he rose victorious over death so that we can now live anew with him. And after his defeat of sin and death, Christ ascended as our king to the right hand of the Father. And he sits now as ruler of the world. He is our good king. And he will come again one day to judge the earth and restore justice. He will make all things new by bringing lasting peace the peace and the wholeness that we all want, we all long for. And so Psalm 96, it's not just some abstract song that was sung by a nation long ago to some abstract God. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus who is alive today. And this is a psalm that the church ought to be singing and proclaiming throughout the world, including here in Dundas. And so let's go back to L.A. quickly. King James is coming to L.A., and this is a huge deal. The city is going crazy, and the team is going crazy, and the media is, is announcing this, and they're telling, and they're retelling the story of how this all happened. 
But why is it such a big deal? Why is the news of LeBron James, this one guy, coming to the Lakers such a big deal? It's because King James is going to save the Lakers franchise. Adding him immediately makes your team a contender for the the final trophy. And the fans, they know this, and the team knows this, and so does the media. They know that this move is going to restore glory to this basketball team. But how do they know it? They know it because of his track record. The man has been in the NBA Finals the last eight years, and with two different teams. It doesn't matter what team he plays for, they make it to the Finals. He's a winner. And so they know his track record, and so they know what's coming. LeBron is going to bring winning back to L.A. But yet there's still people in L.A. They're not excited about this still at all. And why not? And I'm sure some of you are like, well, I'm not excited about this at all either. (laughs) But why not? Well, first, they either don't know the news yet. And if you live in L.A., that's like humanly impossible. Or they're not basketball fans. This doesn't affect them in any personal way. They just don't care. It's not life-changing news. And in a far, 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 far greater way, we have a king in Jesus who has a perfect track record. And unlike LeBron James, he is relevant for everyone. Jesus has come and is restoring glory to the earth by making all things new. And Jesus doesn't eventually retire and become irrelevant. In fact, it's just the opposite. In Christ, God made his own triumphal entry onto the earth. He became human like us so that he could pay the ultimate price for our rebellion. You see, a rightful and a fair and a just ruler deserves glory and praise and honor and obedience. Yet we so often don't understand this. And we're rebellious because we trust in other things. We seek our own justice in the world, or we live in ways that deserve punishment. We deserve punishment, yet if we turn around and trust in King Jesus as our Savior, who has taken our punishment and the consequences of our rebellion upon himself, then we are given a Christ. And now we also have relevance. We now have a task and we have a job to do. Just like the call in Psalm 96 is for Israel to tell and proclaim their salvation to the surrounding nations, this is our call as well. This psalm is for us. We ought to praise God because Jesus is our king. He is the ruler that we long for. 
We ought to praise God because Jesus will restore justice to this broken world. He is coming to judge and make all things new. And just like proclamation goes hand in hand with praise, we ought to tell of his salvation day to day and call all the families of the earth to give Jesus his due praise. So L.A. is is buzzing with the news of LeBron James. But the church in Dundas and throughout the world ought to be buzzing with joy at a much, much greater news of King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that despite our rebellion and our running from you, that you call us to worship you and you give us relevance and significance. And so forgive us for our rebellion. Forgive us for our lack of worship and our disobedience of you as our king. And God, work in us worshipful hearts that take on your task to proclaim this good news of Jesus. Father, make this psalm our song. Give us the space and give us the opportunity in in the places of our influence, in our neighborhoods and in our workplace to praise you by proclaiming, by telling of the good news. Father, we pray all these things in the name of our King, Jesus Christ. Amen.